0: Red Rose Day. Anne Frank. How to stop coddling your mind. All on this episode of Awesome Today. Awesome Today is a daily list of things which we find somewhat or completely awesome that are somehow affiliated with today's date. It is the awesome things we've been introduced to, discovered, or rediscovered. This show is barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy the banter. And have an awesome today, would you?
1: You good? Gotta get ready. Do the do the. Damn boy! Get through <laughs> all that. Get all revved up. That's right. <laughs> okay, are you sufficiently revved? I'm revved.
0: Hello. Hello. Welcome Now my nose
1: itches. I'm not picking it.
0: Awesome Today. I don't know
1: what's happening over here. I haven't. I got a twitchy eye. My nose itched.
0: It's allergy season. Yeah. And we are suffering.
1: Thankfully, though, and first, yes, welcome. It is the June 12th episode of Awesome Today. And today is Red Rose Day. Celebrating the universal symbol of love and romance, which, as the name would imply, is the Red Rose. Big, big surprise there at the end.
0: Yes. I feel like you should have said love and romance.
1: <sighs> romance?
0: Yes. So happy Red Rose Day. Happy
1: romancing. <laughs> Careful now. You could probably somehow rhyme that with pantsing and all kinds of things and get a nice little poem going. You
0: could. I even Part rhymed
1: of... poem and going. <laughs> I'm a regular... Longfellow. Redneck longfellow. <laughs>
0: All right, today's Friday. And so that means not only is Awesome Today out today, but there's also a brand new episode of Sorta Awesome.
1: Brand new.
0: Out today. My esteemed guest is none other than this guy.
1: So if you've been hating Awesome today, you'll really hate this Friday. <laughs> yeah.
0: Today on Sorta Awesome, we're talking all about booze. And yeah. I didn't hate it, it turned out pretty great.
1: There was a lot of heavy market research required. <laughs> we're still recovering. No, that's not true. It was a fun episode. It was fun. Talked about a lot of things. It's always good to review your own your own experiences and stuff. And you begin to oh yeah, I remember I liked that other thing and I forgot. And Yes. Now I need to go try that. And also to like call yourself out whenever you've been lying to yourself and then forgot the line. And it's like, wait, that's not true and you took that to a much different, more complicated place than I did. It goes on. Like you could find yourself recommending a thing and then thinking, Well, but wait, why did I recommend that? Oh. If I can't tell you why, then Okay. I'm I'm full of it. All right. Don't lie to yourself, Megan. I wasn't
0: lying to no one. I'm like, just pour me another. Uh, okay. Good to okay. go. Okay. Well, let's talk about this day in history a little bit. Uh, we talked about Briefly. what's going on today. This day in history, June 12th, 1942, Anne Frank receives a diary as a birthday present. So that becomes, of course, what we was later published and what we probably mm-hmm. read in school, the diary of Anne Frank. Did you read from you know, excerpts from this?
1: I've been thinking about this pretty hard since we came across this little tidbit earlier. Right. And while the name is absolutely familiar, I, I can't specifically. Hey, we gotta fly again. Yeah. I can't specifically recall a, a single excerpt really? that I might have read from it. Okay. I know that I went through a brief stage of neglecting my schoolwork. May or may that's not what... have cheated on a test here and there. I don't know if all that came together at the same time, and that's why I don't know. That's disappointing.
0: Okay. Hey. <laughs> Speaking Just of telling the truth. Being honest with yourself about what you're recommending and honest with yourself about your academic past. That's good. Well, I remember things like this because I at one point or another have usually taught a piece of literature like this. Of course, when Anne Frank as a young woman was writing, this did not think it was going to be literature studied by school children later um, in the post Holocaust uh, Western literature, but it's in its a great time to teach that piece in the sense that it helps kids begin to form some empathy. I mean, ideally helps kids uh, form empathy for, because they're thinking about, this is somebody who is my age. What if these events were happening in my sphere of life? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very good. This
1: may have all occurred at the time that I'd been kidnapped by ninjas. (laughs) That could be why there's this hole of knowledge that so it lacking. Did, yeah. it
0: did eventually happen for you, is what you're saying. I know we had left oh, yeah. off with you wanting it to happen. No, no,
1: it had happened. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yes. All right.
1: Got the tattoos to prove it.
0: Diary of Anne Frank is um, really important. And as a teacher, it was easier to teach than a piece that I later taught to sophomores in high school, which is Elie Wiesel's Night, which is an account of an actual concentration camp, which is... A very important read, also very tough to teach. In fact, when I was teaching it, I had... Tears? W- of course, yes. And I had three classes of sophomores. And so for three class preps a day, oh, wow. we were reading through... Um, I told myself I wasn't going to cry oh again. It's the third time. It was, yeah. it was rough. It was rough. Very important. Imagine. Very thankful for Elie Lee Wiesel's work. But, um, of course, all of that literature is so important so that we can have first-hand accounts mm-hmm. of these moments in history. So agreed, anyway, agreed. circling back, Anne Frank got her diary on June 12th of 1942.
1: So obviously, being kidnapped by ninjas isn't all positive <laughs> things. I missed out on some good stuff. You did. Well, so what's, did you. what's really important here, yes. plainly, June 12, 2011, a Filipino man is declared by the Guinness Book of World Records as The world's shortest man Um, inexplicable by doctors he simply stopped growing at the age of two okay Um, and even that uh, well as an 18 year old he measured 23.6 inches tall which means he's only just a little bit bigger than when nico was born i know
0: right
1: that's amazing
0: um, so that is fascinating. These facts are so incredible because just to think about what the human body has the capacity to do. Mm-hmm. He, do you know, is he still living? Did you do any? Further I do not know. No, anything? I was
1: going to, and then just a lot of other tasks yeah. at hand. And I'm just so curious
0: if he is still alive, but to have lived for 18 years. Right. And still being under two feet. That is incredible. That is truly awesome. Yes. The human body has the capacity for so much uh, diversity in the way it expresses itself. Indeed. So that's what I'm thinking.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we're on to chapter two. And I don't know that we're going to continue necessarily at a chapter a day pace or that we won't have some breakup here and there in the middle of this fantastic book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, But we do have a singular chapter that both of us had the opportunity to consume and digest. Yes. And now we're ready to regurgitate.
0: Yeah. This has been, I'll tell you what, just going to give you all the heads up. This particular chapter was a little bit like going to therapy for me. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of emphasis on a specific therapeutic style. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought chapter one was hitting me hard. This one is really...
1: But pushing not, on some things in a not, good yeah, way, yeah, not in a hurty way. No. like, oh yeah, stop, keep doing it. Yes,
0: that kind of way. All right, let's dig in.
1: Okay, point number one. Among the most universal psychological insights in the world's wisdom traditions is that what really frightens and dismays us is not external events themselves, but the way in which we think about them.
0: Yes, that's right. You know, this is such an interesting thing that also not only does it apply to what you're thinking about in the current moment, but it also applies to memory. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of research in the past 10 to 20 years tells us that when it comes to memory, the actual event as it happened is not as important as how you remember that it happened. And so it's this idea that it's the same thing that this chapter talks about, that we can reframe. Right what happened and um, in, and empower ourselves, not that we want to color over or like turn it into something else. That's not what we're aiming for. Right. But if we can think about things that have happened and are happening to us in ways that are healthy and um, that we can actually feel in somewhat empowered mm-hmm. by our struggles and by things that maybe even had been upsetting in the past. This is epic Epictetus? Epictetus? I don't know
1: how to pronounce it. That's why I didn't read that name.
0: Gives us that idea that um, the way we think about things
1: is so important
0: to our experience of life.
1: Yes. And and I would offer from my current industry's perspective, um, you know, we had the 2008 financial crisis, but that's long ago, enough ago now, Mm -hmm. um, long ago enough now. Yes, is that also, the better the better that grammatical presentation works better. Okay, it pretend does. like I said that first. Yep. Um, long ago enough now that most people have forgotten how they felt, yeah. even but especially I think because how they felt was so disconnected right. with what damage was actually being done. But I I think more recently, for those who are investing, have seen what's happened to their investments when. Coronavirus really, like, there was there was a whisper of news around it, and markets spiked down, but then within, I think it was within five days, they were not only back to where they were, but again, hitting all-time new highs, but then it was the second time that the news came out, and it was really significant. There was a plummet, a prolonged plummet, like a an elevator drop yes. of the major indices, um, and... I think just about the time people would have considered, like back in the day when stockbrokers were jumping out of tall buildings and all that good stuff, just when people would have really felt like this is the end of everything as we know it, things were already beginning to turn up. And as of Friday of last week, so a week ago now, um, at least one of the major indices, the NASDAQ, was. Establishing a new all-time high. Yes. Um, and so it's this interesting perspective to the the pain of the moment versus the reality of what's happening.
0: Yes. And you're saying, you're telling me that the plural of index is not indexes, it's indices. Indices. Yeah. I feel like I am so much smarter. For having learned it's that a value,
1: It's a value. You can throw that out even without attaching anything to it. You're at a party. Somebody's like, "Well, I saw that the S&P 500 did whatever, and you can just like lean in. Yeah, all the indices had some movement. And you didn't commit to anything, but you got to use indices. I genuinely feel
0: like my IQ just yeah. like sprung up a
1: little. Yeah, and everybody's like, damn, that girl's good. <laughs> What's your opinion? No, sorry, sorry, I gotta go. I saw a friend.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Showmanship, that's as George Costanza would share. Right, that's right. Leave while they're still thinking good things. Yeah. All right. Point number two: Cognitive Behavioral Therapy is a method anyone can learn for identifying cog- common cognitive distortions mm-hmm. and then changing their habitual patterns of thinking. Um, that abbreviated as CBT. Which is different than CBD, yep. but CBT, um, it, it, doing this right results in better critical thinking and mental health, and that's again yeah. looking back to this last point of right. you know panic when it's unworthy or euphoria when it's unworthy, and just better mental health all around by a better practice.
0: Yes. This is the part where we got into that. I was like, uh, am I, am I in therapy right now? Cause I feel like I am. Because even though he, what he, the author, actually the authors are describing just kind of talks about the main points of like what CBT entails, they really unpack what this could look like in real life. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out to me is part of um, CBT is recognizing and correcting catastrophizing. Is that how
1: you say it? Catastrophizing. I feel like it's catastrophizing. Well, well, it could be. Anyway, catastrophically <laughs> assigning hurty things.
0: One time, I, I'm really, really super prone to this. Okay, don't say a word.
1: I won't. I'm just gonna <laughs> smile and bob my head like a bobble doll.
0: I do this so much. One time, I'm going to tell a quick story. When Daisy was still in middle school, I had gone to pick her up. This was on an early release day. At the parking lot. After pickup was a madhouse. And I was so annoyed because it was going to take us probably five extra minutes ultimately, but I was so annoyed trying to get out of there, and nobody was doing the zipper thing. Nobody was. Following the rules, it was mass chaos.
1: The zipper merge. Yes, the zipper merge. One side, other side. One side, other side. The
0: awesomes know. We've
1: talked about this on the show,
0: so for sure they know what I'm talking about. No Mm -hmm. one was doing it, though. And I turned to Daisy. She was the only one in the car. And I was like, this is a disaster. And she was like, Mom, it's not a disaster. It's just a situation. And I was like, oh, Yeah, from the mouth of babes. I got schooled by my middle schooler. But I do that a lot. And so and that's just one aspect of CPT is recognizing those thought patterns and being able to be like okay, not only is this a thought pattern but how let's look at how we can correct it. Mm-hmm. That's the therapy mm-hmm. part of the cognitive behavioral therapy.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. You don't have to Say it quietly. This is like when you when you're trying to spell a word for a spelling test <laughs> and you're not sure, so you put two letters really close <laughs> together so you could lie. No, it was two T's, not one. My pencil lead broke or whatever.
0: You're such a sneak. I, would I never know. I did. Um,
1: and I won. When
0: I started saying cognitive behavioral therapy, like there was a question mark that came up in my mind. Like that's not even what it's called, is it? And so right. that's why I sort of like turned the volume down about <laughs> it. I, I <wanted. laughs> hear you. Okay.
1: Um, and in this, so as I've mentioned before, for anybody who's ever bothered to listen twice to us, there may not be many. Um, my first career was in athletics. And so there's a lot of things about the physical body that I see. We, we all learn things from the perspective of something we already know most yes. often. And so I can look back to that and see, oh, yeah, true here as well. From physical to mental connection versus just mental, mental um, anybody who's ever participated in really, really high output activity, mm-hmm. like lifting weights, but not for reps, like true, trying to get a maximum lift effort or running sprints to the point of fatigue. Um, there's a moment that you can reach there where You're literally the people will oftentimes call this a white Buffalo in the sky moment where you may or may not pass out. You're not sure what's going to happen. You're kind of freaking out, but there's also a point that you reach right on the heels of that, where you kind of regain your, your cognitive abilities and you look around and say, okay, this is hard and it hurts, but it's really not as bad as I've just imagined it to be. And, and then at that point, your mind can tell your body, okay, get my form back under control. I can complete more than I thought I could. And you get through the thing. And this is a big moment of maturation, especially, especially for a collegiate athlete who is going to be pushed further and harder than ever was a high school athlete. Yeah. Um, and, And so that's where I identify in looking at this is taking your moment taking yourself to that moment of stress whether it was by choice or mildly forced upon you or whatever, mm-hmm. and then reaching this this truth in the moment to be like, okay, I'm not going to die. This sucks. There's no question about that. And I'm not trying to change the story of it, but I can do this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this, just to tie into like, why would the authors spend a whole chapter talking about CBT, is that they looked at the different components of it as it relates to this, um, what is it? Anti-fragile state of mind. Yes. And so when you are experiencing a lot of the telltale markers of what we're getting ready to talk about emotional reasoning, that is when your brain goes from, and your experience of life goes from being anti-fragile to being
1: fragile. Right. So let's read the point quickly and then get back into this. So emotional reasoning is among the most common of all cognitive distortions. Most people would be happier and more effective if they did less of it. Okay. Yes. And so you have this, this panic moment where your first response is to flee to safety. Yes. And I would even posit that when you do that, not only do you not advance your, your threshold, sure. uh, but that it actually begins to reduce and you yes. seek safety faster and faster. So you digress down the, the spectrum of functionality
0: Absolutely. And the safety could even be a place in your mind that is comforting to you of telling yourself a story of like, I can't do this. I'm broken. Mm -hmm. I am not up to this job. You know, like that in a sense, and I say this as a person who I will admit to anybody, I struggle with this and have moments where I'm like really moving forward on the path and overcoming it. And then as you know, because you've got it pull me out of the tank sometimes sometimes in the tank just convinced that I can't do a thing and so safety in that moment is just retreating to those old thought patterns that comfort me it's antithetical to what it should be you would think that like telling yourself like you're done you can't do this You would think that that would not be comforting, but if that is the groove in your brain that you have built up over time, there is something safe and comfortable about going back to that because you're saying, I give up. I can't do this. I knew I couldn't do this. I am whatever fill in the blank.
1: Right. And, and, and I think where things probably stand to really become complex then is the, the realization that, Hey, if I set my hand on the stove, then I do need to get my hand off the stove and not be like, Oh, well, if I just leave it there, I'll be stronger. <laughs> that's, that's an instance where the stimulus is too great. It's yes. too much. Right. And so then that, yes. that difficulty, because it's really hard to have. Good thoughts or good, even good fine motor skills in a moment of stress. Yeah. But that's the difficulty then is determining, is this stressor worthy of running from or do I need to stay and fight a little bit? Exactly.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, The term microaggressions, which I'm assuming everybody has at least heard. Sure. um, It refers to a way of thinking about brief and commonplace indignities and slights communicated to us. Small acts of microaggression are real, so the term could be useful, but because the definition as it was originally formed includes accidental and unintentional offenses, the word aggression then is misleading. Um, Using the lens of microaggressions may amplify the pain experienced and the conflict that ensues. On the other hand, there's nothing micro about intentional acts of aggression and bigotry. Right,
0: yes. So this was a term that was not really used much before. There was a, a paper, I believe, that came out—a mm-hmm. paper, an article, something. I
1: think and, it was a paper. I think it was a full study done by a collegiate professor.
0: Okay, yes, and it was around 2007. So it feels right. Been yeah. a while, like um, 12, 13 years now. Mm-hmm. So it took a while for it to kind of seep into culture, but I do, you do hear this a lot in culture now, um, and this. I have to admit that I kind I kind of bristled a little bit when the author started talking about this because listening to my friends who for example are maybe women of color um they talk about different microaggressions that they've experienced and so the, I'm bristling as I'm listening to this but here's what really landed for me is that to be a, aggressive you have to have some intention behind that. Yes. Now, do people say things that are
1: Stupid, yes. yes.
0: Ignorant is what I was going to say.
1: Stupid, yeah. yes. Same, same concept. Yeah. But do
0: they sometimes just not know how stupid they're being? Yes. So can I? I hope you don't mind if I tell this example, but we're amongst friends here.
1: Is it's it, not you. Is it my mom? Yes. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say.
0: Is that okay to tell, or should we not tell that story?
1: Well, now you've already let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> May I tell it? Yes. Okay. In. Uh, Let me think here. This would have been somewhere in the early 1980s. Yes. Um, My dad had graduated up into the corporate office Mm -hmm. at, at his place of work. And, you know, we'd come from... My dad absolutely came from poverty. So did my mom. They had made a climb over the years. And you're always... I think you're always, I think sheesh, we're always awkward, but especially awkward in the early stages of participation in a new group. So that factors in as well. But here, you know, he's corporate offices of, of his place of business and the lead secretary at that place, a wonderful woman, her name was Gail, I believe, I think, we'll call her Gail anyway. And she was a black woman. And I don't know, honestly, both of my parents grew up in tiny, tiny towns. Um,
0: in Oklahoma.
1: Oklahoma, much smaller even than my graduating class of 54. Right. Tiny towns. And and even though they traveled a bit and moved with jobs, I, I don't think their exposure to diversity and in an era where there was still significantly more prejudice and confusion than there is now. Yes. So they go up into the office, there's Gail, she's typing, and man, she could type. She could type so fast that the typewriter's in that day, she'd have to stop every little bit to let the typewriter catch up with her. Yes. And uh, and then, you know, here's, I think oftentimes when we get into awkward circumstances, one response is to talk more than we would normally. To feel really compelled to just, more words, and I don't know what I'm saying, but I can't stop myself. And so... Here, Gail is just trying to do her job. Right. And my mom's in there awkwardly forcing more and more conversation. And just looking for any way, I'm sure, to establish some kind of rapport of any kind.
0: Yes.
1: Gail had a a true Afro, like probably a solid eight inches out from her head. And my mom did at one point ask if she could feel her hair. Yep. Which, as we're all aware now, if you were to do that now, you you could get yourself in some hot water. And I I don't believe for a minute that my mom's heart or intentions right. were aggressive right. or nasty or bad. They were just ignorant.
0: Yes, right. So, yeah, yeah, that's what comes to mind for me. Like you said, we now, you know, as culture has evolved, and especially as we begin listening to more stories of, um, you know, black men and women, Other people of color, they as the stage expands, as the microphone is passed, they can share. Like you know what, when you do this, I understand you're curious, but it's offensive. Um, (laughs) Then we can be informed. I genuinely this is this came to mind because. I know that your mom would not. She's not an aggressive person no. at any level. No, maybe passive if, aggressive yeah, if sometimes. <laughs> passive aggressive. Yeah. But this just came to mind because of the emphasis on the idea of accidental and intentional yeah. offenses. So
1: this ties into the next, at least two, I think. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and so he's, you know, this, this, these authors are writing this really, again, from a perspective of. Not just raising children, but their their expertise, their right. life experience is interaction with college students. So his statement.
0: Well, let me say this to you. They make sure to emphasize the fact that microaggression, as it is defined, is real in terms of people actually trying
1: to be aggressive. When it's aggressive. Yes. And, but that they also go on to say that in that application where it is aggression, yes. hey, it ain't micro. Exactly. Aggression is aggression. Aggression
0: is aggression. There's nothing micro about it. Right. You
1: need to call it out for what it is. Right. So for sure. Yeah. So they say by encouraging students to interpret actions of others in the least generous way possible, schools that teach students about microaggressions may be encouraging the kids to engage in emotional reasoning, which we've already talked about, and other distortions while setting themselves up for higher levels of distrust and conflict. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah. I've mentioned before, for the three of you who've listened to more than one episode of this, that I participate in spiritual direction. And that uh, right now, that coincides with a traveling through Ignatian spirituality. Mm-hmm. And this is, what? This is uh, six, seven hundreds range. Mm-hmm. Is that how long ago it was? I can't even remember when Ignatius was. Oh,
0: it was more, it was later. It was more More recent into the medieval. Either
1: way, he's, he's before cognitive behavioral theory. Oh,
0: for sure. And and a bunch of things before. Yes.
1: And yet one of the earliest things in this practice is the encouragement to say, Hey, when you're talking with people, why don't you go ahead and assign the strongest positive intention that you can to what they're saying? Right. Don't. And then, so it's like the opposite perspective of aggression or microaggression, which we've just decided doesn't exist. It's either aggression or it's just a dumb move. And when you can do that, then while it may become fatiguing over time to say, hey, look, you know, in the case of my mom and Gail, when you ask to touch my hair, that's really offensive. And I don't believe you were trying to be offensive. I think you're a good person. I assume you're a good person, but here you've, you've said a thing that hurts. If you do that rather than running and hiding or trying to call people out or whatever else, extending a little bit of grace, I think we'd all be surprised, including myself in my interactions with people, how often it is that the other person just made a bad decision that they didn't even realize was bad in the moment.
0: Right. Exactly. And a shorthand for this idea is something we talk about a lot on Sword of Awesome, and that's assigning
1: positive intent. Yeah. Just to say. Benefit of the doubt.
0: Exactly. Yes. So, all right, go ahead.
1: Now, this, thir- explain, this, this next one, I'll read it. You'll talk about it. All right. this, to me, it's just bringing all of this together in yeah. a neat little bundle. Right. Uh, there's a woman named Kareth Foster who tells uh, a story. She offers an example of using empathy to reappraise actions that could be interpreted as aggressive. When she interpreted those actions as innocent, uh, innocent misunderstandings, uh, albeit very intensive, uh, that it led to a better outcome for everyone. Right.
0: So, Kareth Foster, I think she's either a college professor or a therapist. Like this, oh, That I don't know. This realm of thinking about your thoughts is what she does mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a black woman. She's married to a white man. So, something happens where her husband is in a terrible motorcycle accident. She rushes to the ER. They are trying to ask him some questions as they are, you know, getting him into the whole process of of treating him. But he is in such bad shape that he's actually losing consciousness. And so she's there and trying to answer questions, answer questions about, you know, medical history, all the things that they needed to go over. And um, she's just being overlooked. Nobody's listening to her. She's trying to, you know, really get the doctor's attention. Finally, one of the doctors who's attending to her husband looks at her and is basically like, and who are you? And she's like, I'm his wife. And not only does that doctor ask, but then other care providers, Mm -hmm. it just keeps happening. And she's getting so frustrated and she just wants to call them out right there. Like, this is the 21st century. We have a mixed marriage. Get over it. Just listen to me. But she's this able, is in her mind in her mind yes and so but she's able because this is her actual job this is her area of expertise she's able to stop and think about her thoughts and realize wait a second we are actually all on the same team you know? right we all have the same goal and even if I feel like people are being insensitive or, and, and maybe they are maybe they are maybe on they purpose. are maybe they well, are but what's yes. more important right she, in the moment, was like, we were on that same team. We got to focus. I got to focus my energy. We got to focus our energy towards my husband living. It was mm-hmm. literally a life <laughs> and death situation. And she said, once she was able to do that, that she was able to communicate much more clearly to the care right. team. They responded much more. Right. You're, uh, when, you,
1: when you can do that, your your emotion, your what you're putting forth right. is more digestible from the others. It, it's the old... I mean, forgive me if everybody hates the Bible here or someone does, but it's a biblical principle that the soft answer turns away wrath.
0: Right. Yes. So anyway, her husband pulled through. Later, when she was able to reflect back on the incident, she did follow up with some emails, some letters to let the administrators know, I feel like this was not handled if very sensitively. I have some problems with how it was handled, but she was able to take care of it later because in the moment she was able to stop, which I think is very admirable in you know, mm-hmm. life or death. Like it was her
1: white Buffalo in the sky. Yeah, moment.
0: Exactly. Exactly. To think about her thinking, change her thinking to, to the point where they could get through the crisis moment mm-hmm. and continue on. So
1: I can't, really I can't count the number of times in coaching where something obviously not like this but just loosely relatable something bad would happen in the course of a game and human nature's first response is to figure out who to point the finger at and and how the only time things went well is when we could get everybody together on the sideline and be like okay well i'm not worried about that i'm not worried about who to blame how do we fix what's going on right. all that you address the problem later this is exactly what she did right. you address the problem later but in the moment especially in an instance of life and death of someone, my word, but preferably as often as possible for the best outcome you could hope for in the moment, you push aside whatever was stupid and focus on solving the problem. Exactly. Only nobody, nobody in that moment of panic is receptive. Um, had she chosen to make a big deal in this moment, how come y'all, whatever, this, that thing obviously would have detracted from the ability of her husband to get care and survive the moment. It wouldn't have solved any problems. There would have been ongoing legal arguments and who knows what kind of escalations from there. So it doesn't make what happens in a moment, right? Right. It just means this isn't really the time that that's going to get fixed. Right. So let's get a best possible outcome. Yes. Assigning, even if it's unworthily, Better intentions to the other person. Yes. We'll deal with the other stuff later when people have time to say, you know what, I was I was a little bit of a turd right there. Or I viewed it differently. I'm sorry, it's not what I intended or whatever else. Yes. Okay. The last point, which has a, what I've learned as a public speaker is that you're never supposed to say last thing, last point, because people stop in listening and then. Well,
0: you uh, blew it up. But this.
1: I blew it. The number of efforts to disinvite speakers, this is speaking, this is uh, looking at college campuses. Mm -hmm. The number of efforts to disinvite speakers from giving talks on campus has increased in the last few years. Such efforts are often justified by the claim that the speaker in question will cause harm to students. But discomfort is not danger. Students, professors, and administrators should understand the concept of antifragility and keep in mind uh, Hannah Holborn Gray's principle that, quote, education should not be intended to make people comfortable. It is meant to make them think, right. end quote. Yeah. The inverse perspective of that that I would encourage is to say, If you're not a little bit uncomfortable, then you might not be thinking.
0: Yeah. And you may have gotten yourself into an echo chamber where the only responses that you're hearing are from people who agree with you. And Yes. There was a lot of discussion about echo chambers around the 2016 election because people... Well, yeah, because it happens. And listen, I fall prey to that too. And I think that.
1: It's comfort, it's safety, it's all those things.
0: Exactly. But to remember that a key aspect of education, of learning, is that you have to have frustration to learn. And that if an idea, a speaker is speaking about something that really frustrates you, makes you mad, it feels offensive use that frustration to learn you may not ever go over and agree with them that's right not
1: that's the point. not the point it's
0: not the point at all
1: it's to that, inspire you to look
0: exactly the agitation is meant to help you dig in further into what you think what you believe mm-hmm. what you find to be true
1: and if you're mature mm-hmm. you'll either solidify hey here's the additional things i didn't know that prove mm-hmm. i am correct in this thought yeah or where the real maturity comes is looking and saying you know i have no foundation For this thing I've chosen to believe. It doesn't mean I have to adopt what this other person said. But it means if I'm going to be responsible. Maybe I need to look at this stuff a little bit more. If it's something that's important enough to bother with.
0: Exactly. So yeah. That was a lot. A lot in that chapter. So,
1: Indeed. It's a good chapter. Chapter Like I said.
0: I felt like going to therapy. I got a lot to think about in my own life. After that chapter. So it was good
1: stuff. Yeah. Have an awesome today. Would you? Please do. We have a stronger
0: chance of improving things when we start with ourselves. Even if the situation is slow to improve, we don't have to be...